Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Al and Lingy Show. Brilliant tap work, Gresham. Curling, curling. Magnificent all round. Oh, this is just a leap by Paddy Ryder. Stokes down low. Corey to Ling. And then Ling goes bang. And the captain, as he did last week from about there, kicks the goal. The Blues and the Saints enhance their reputations further. The Bombers bereft. The Gold Coast Suns produce another surprise win. And Isaac Heaney, one of the stars of the competition, is going to join us much the great pleasure of my co-host Cameron Ling. Hello and welcome to the Al and Lingy show. Lingy, welcome to you. Great to be here, Al. I'm so excited about this. Isaac Keeney's going to have a chat with us. If you don't mind, I know you do a wonderful job. You, you, you do, you present beautifully, everything like that. But if you could just step aside for 20 minutes or so, um, I'm just, I want to go one out. I want to take him on. I want to see if I can, um, see if I can at least ruffle him a little bit, maybe get something out of him, but oh, so excited. I don't think you'll be ruffling. I just think you'll be paying homage to him for 20 <laughs> minutes straight. Lingy, you love him so much. He, he hasn't been as damaging the last couple of weeks. I reckon he's getting a bit more attention of late. So uh, it'd be interesting to see what he's got to say. But that was an excellent performance from Sydney. And Jet said a lot about Essendon, though. They're a real talking point out of that match. We'll get to the Bombers and break down where it's all going wrong. Eye-catching for you this round, though, Lingy, this round nine of football. Well, I don't have high school kids yet, high school student kids yet, but I'm their primary age. But I know that year 12s across the country, across Victoria in particular, are gearing up towards those mid-year exams, the all-important. Well, there were some early exams across the AFL and a few teams passed with flying colours. Huge tests, I felt, for the Saints and the Blues this week. Saints coming up against my old mob, Geelong. And Carlton coming up with the different sort of test of a few key players out and a fired-up GWS with Leon Cameron getting the sack. I thought it was a massive danger game for them. And both of those teams were superb in victory. St Kilda in particular coming from behind, their third quarter was sensational. The speed through the midfield, the balance of the team. Didn't need a huge game from Max King and they get the win against the, the, the really good Geelong team. And same with the Blues against the Giants. I thought they were excellent, really professional, did what they had to do, just Sam Walsh back to his absolute best form. So test time, exam time, two teams passed very, very comfortably. A couple of other teams, not so much, but um, well done to Carlton and to the Saints for me, Al. Let's stick with those two teams, Lingy, because they were stories of the round, really. I thoroughly agree with you around Carlton. To me, that felt like a game Carlton might drop. It was at a venue where they'd never won. They had a really poor recent record against GWS. You add that Harry Mackay's not playing. Lewis Young goes out of an already depleted backline. Patrick Cripps was the third tallest player that Carlton had in its side. 
and had to spend significant time in the ruck around the ground, Patrick Cripps, on the weekend as well. And you had that factor, that emotional factor, Leon Cameron leaving after, you know, taking GWS as far as he possibly could and things in decline this year, obviously. But you felt like there would be a response. There had to be a response. Nathan Buckley's last game, Collingwood knocked off Melbourne last year. But what struck me about that GWS performance was just how limply they started. There was all the emotion in the change rooms before the game, Leon's final rev-up speech. And they went out there and produced nothing. For 15 minutes of football, they did not have a possession inside their attacking half. And Carlton... Yes, Carlton was breathtakingly good. They were excellent the way they started the game. But what on earth was GWS doing? I would have been so disappointed if I were Leon Cameron, knowing it was his final game in charge. They've literally just gone out onto the ground after his last address, and then they dished that up. I I agree with you, Al. You expect something. Even if it's false bravado, you expect something from the Giants. But maybe, just maybe that, is the huge step that Carlton have taken. I know when, when we were a good team and, or, or even an up-and-coming team, you'd, you'd often you'd almost invent these reasons why the opposition's going to come at you. And sometimes you didn't need to invent it. You just knew they were going to. And you knew when a coach had been sacked or, in this case, coaching his last game, you knew the opposition would come and come hard at you and really fired up early on. But if you could go whack in the first 15 minutes with your, your attack on the contest, your ferocity with your pressure that you put on, structurally everyone's in the right place, everyone's encouraging and directing on the same page, you move the ball with high efficiency and you just rip the game away from them, you know that whatever false bravado they may have thought about coming out with is just gone and they turn back into the shells of people and players that had probably caused that coach to finish up. See, I think maybe it's Carlton just being so special early on. I'm with you. I, I, I hate the fact that the Giants didn't give anything in those early stages, but maybe that was Carlton just being so good and so ruthless from the start that it didn't even give the Giants a chance to, to come out breathing any fire that they might have had. So uh, I'm going to go the slightly glass half full version of that and say, that's Carlton. Great work, Carlton, and great work, Michael Voss, having his team ready to go. I've yeah, the way he built it up, Lingy, he set it up as being, this is going to be a really brutal game of football. You're going to have to, you've got to be ready for that. And Carlton sat GWS back on its heels before yeah. they even had a chance really to, to try and make an impact, to make an early statement. Carlton with three goals up, and it was looking like it would be an enormous thrashing. I could see it playing out. This is going to be a disastrous end to what has been a, a very significant coaching tenure at a fledgling club for a much-loved character there. But credit to GWS, the way they fought back in that game. Ultimately, though, the final quarters are an ongoing issue for them. They have lost every final quarter this season, Lingy, and you stretch that out further. They've now lost 15 consecutive final quarters, GWS. So they just don't run out games at all. Is that fitness? Is that character? Is it application? To me, when that game was there to be won, they were six points down at three-quarter time. There was not one player in that side who was prepared to be brave with the ball. They kept going down the far side, down, down and around the wing, constantly along the line. No one prepared to try and open up the ground. Perhaps 
Carlton was very successful in blocking off the corridor. But at that stage of the game, it's so much on the line. They're very seasoned on the line, really, Lingy, uh, for those who thought that they were still a chance to, to maybe contend for finals. And then the coach factor as well, it, it just seemed to lack bravery to me. It did, Al. And, and I refuse, I don't cop the not fit enough argument because elite AFL players across all the teams, you'd be surprised. It's not that different from club to club. It is high-end, high-quality training. You might have subtle differences. Is We're going to focus a little bit more on power and explosive work because our players are slightly suited that way versus the high-end aerobic. We might do this subtly. But more often than not, most teams are doing similar things really, really well. So all the players are fit across the competition. So fitness is a cop-out to say, oh, they're not fit enough, that's why they get run over the top of it in the last quarter. It's a desire and a genuine desire to want to do the hard work. And it's system. It's the way they play. That slow, just... Again, it's Leon's word, boring football. Unadventurous football is so hard and so taxing, in fact, that you look unfit and you look slower, and you look reactive. Whereas if you, if you train to play a way that can take the ball off the line, it can move a couple of runs from behinds and some handball receives, break a line or two, get some people caught out the back, gee, all of a sudden you look like you can run. Mm. You're fit, and you can cover the ground really well. Well, you're probably just as fit as the other team, but your system and the way you play, plus that genuine desire to, to really push yourself uh, for those those final five or six minutes might be the reason why you, you, can, you can get the edge. But a team that looked like the Giants does in the last quarters at the moment, I didn't know that statistic. Thank you for sharing that. That's just damning on both system and also that genuine application to want to push yourself. Mm. Silver lining, um, eye-catching for me was the performance again of young Cooper Hamilton. He looks like a really good footballer and a hungry footballer. He stood out as someone who played with serious intent, his pursuit, his willingness to chase and tackle and put his body on the line for a young player, I think in his fifth game, really caught the eye, Lingy. So I'm going to enjoy watching his progress. Had some little attributes similar to the man that we're speaking to later on in Isaac Heaney. So Isaac's coming up shortly. but um, Al, can I jump in? Doesn't if you're a Giants fan, wouldn't that irritate you more hearing what you've just said? That a, a game a player in his fifth game is the one who stands out to you in that game as having the desire to do all of those things. I remember a time when do you do you remember 2007 round five Geelong North Melbourne at our home ground, and we were terrible. We were really really disappointing. There was one player who stood out as having a real crack, a desire to compete a willingness to do every single thing the team needed of him, take the game on, tackle, all the things you're talking about. It was Joel Selwood in game number five. Well, the, the I took that personally when I walked off that field and sat down and reflected and I thought, so out of all of us players, us so-called seasoned and experienced players with a bit of talent running through our veins, the one player who could hold his head high in a game that mattered, that took our season to two wins and three losses, after that, season on the line type stuff, the one player could hold his head high was in his fifth game. That was a disgrace by us. Wouldn't you be feeling the same if you're the experienced Giants players who've been there and done it, that you're talking about a bloke who's in his fifth game of footy is the one 
who stood out to you with that sort of application, that, that would hurt me even more, sting me more as the senior player. Well, for the Giants, there have been enough opportunities to be stung, enough opportunities to have a good hard look at yourself and respond. And, and it hasn't worked to the point where Leon Cameron, in reality, felt like he couldn't get any more from them. And, and that played out perhaps the very ingredients that resulted in Leon Cameron departing the club were on show again there on Sunday when they played Carlton. So the Blues are in the top four and, and week on week, they're suggesting that they might be able to stay there. I think most Carlton supporters thought at the start of the season, top eight, yep, we're a really good chance of, and probably should make the eight this season. But top four, Michael Voss has got them going really, really nicely. Uh, it's great to see the way they're playing. That. They play a good style of football as well, the Blues. Um, On to the Saints. And we've got Isaac Heaney coming up very shortly. He's going to join us from the Sydney Swans after their 58-point win over Essendon. You went to that game, didn't you, Lingy, as, a, as an observer? You had sort of the unenviable task of a, a bunch of youngsters in tow as you went and watched, and most were Geelong fans. What did you make of it, mate? Yeah, I went as a fan, and I took uh, my three boys and three of their mates. So I had six boys aged between five and nine with me, which is completely ludicrous on my behalf. But I, five of them were Cats fans, Al. One of their little mates a Saints fan. And I thought, oh, at half time, this is going to be fun. They, they've belly full of chips and hot dogs and lollies and everything under the sun. And the cats were in control of that game. After halftime, though, uh, it was all St Kilda. And, and credit to them. There, there was the, the frustration of, hang on, what, what's going wrong for Geelong? And then I had to stop myself and just appreciate, no, the Saints played brilliant footy. Their, their balance between the inside mids of, you know, Brad Crouch and, and that type of player to their game-breaking, dynamic players like Jade Gresham. Every time I seem to look up and think, oh, hang on, Geelong might be. Oh, no, Jade Gresham's got it. And he's breaking the game open. And he's sending it the ball that way and then that way and away they go. Um, he, he, was, he was outstanding. So those types of players just broke Geelong open. And then the multi-pronged forward line worked. It, it, it wasn't all Max King like it's been at times. There were others bobbing up and just finding space. There was run through half forward and through 50 with goals on the run. And it was just a really accomplished performance. And I don't know if you thought the same, Al, but Geelong just looked stagnant. Mm. Anytime they got the ball, it was, we can't go anywhere. There's no movement, no movement of players, no movement of ball. And it was long back turnover. Here you go, the Saints again. They've got an unheralded defence, I reckon, the Saints. Callum Wilkie is he's a very versatile player and he rarely gets beaten, and Dougal Howard as well. Watching Geelong, it seems like they need Hawkins and Cameron to kick seven or eight between them if they're going to win each week. They're not manufacturing. Stengel's been very good for them, but they're not manufacturing a score unless one of those key forwards is going to stand up for them against the better teams it seems. I was really taken by the performance of Jack Sinclair again. He's yeah. such a, a speedy player, attacks it hard, prepared to pull the trigger on a, you know, a risky kick into the middle to open up play. Marcus Windhager, when he came on as well, thought showed some really good signs for St Kilda as a young player emerging. And I love the battle, Lingy, between De Koning and King. Yeah. And I don't think De Koning had his colours lowered in any way, shape or form. King outbodied him a few times and got his hands to the ball but didn't complete the mark. 
but that just looked like it could be a nice little jewel for many years to come. So loved what I saw from the Saints coming off a couple of poor performances to do that. That really suggested that they can still be somewhere about the mark later in the season, I reckon. What about Geelong though for you, Lingy? They, they're not playing with any great consistency, it seems, at the moment. Their very best is among the best. And then they produce performances where they can be. They can have their, their game taken away from them, as St Kilda did. Yeah, and the two times they've had that taken away from them is the worry for me, Al. It's been Fremantle and it's been St Kilda. Really quite well organised defensively, um, very accomplished, as you said, with the St Kilda backline and Fremantle outstanding with their defensive work. But then through the middle of the ground, a balance between strong at the contest and an ability to match the cats at the contest and some of those bigger, stronger bodies of the cats and speed on the outside. Fremantle did it to them on their home deck at GMHBA Stadium. And then St Kilda certainly did it to them up at Marvel Stadium. That's the worry for me is two very similar-ish teams have been able to get them and get them with a balance in their game, but a real speed through the middle of the ground. So that's where something needs to be found for the Cats. Do they tinker with the balance of who's inside and who's outside? Um, Isaac Smith still able to provide a bit of run on the wings and, and, and that works well, but who else is it? Max Holmes, the young bloke, is not playing and they shouldn't be missing him as much as what they are. How's Danger going? How's Patrick Dangerfield going, do you reckon? Oh, I know he's battled through those injury concerns and he had the cork, multiple cork calves and then missed a week or two with it. He just seemed to not have that explosion in his legs again. Well, and it's unfair, probably, out that when, when Geelong's challenged, I look and I think, well, they need somebody like Paddy here just to break this game back open the other way. And he couldn't do it on Saturday. It's probably unfair to think that it should be him every single time because he, his body is getting banged up. He's spoken openly about the fact that, you know, he's feeling it probably for the first time in his career, that the, the legs aren't there and the, and the bruises and the knocks are starting to accumulate and have an impact. So I think he is a, and, and played on the weekend like still a really good midfielder, but not that unbelievable game-breaking I'm going to completely turn the tide of a match the other way type midfielder. So it's got to be someone else, Al. It cannot just fall on him. It certainly can't fall on Joel Selwood's shoulders anymore because he's done it for so long. Uh, they've just got to be part of a unit that can actually turn the momentum of a game. But who else is going to support in that area? It's got to be Guthrie and it's got to be Duncan and it's got to be Brandon Parfitt and some of the younger players but they were unable to do that. So that's my big question mark coming out of Saturday's game for the Cats. I reckon Brett Ratton would be very proud of his captain, Jack Steele, who was injured in that tackle from College Asney and uh, he's injured his shoulder. He's going to need surgery. He's going to miss a couple of months of football, but went back out on the ground and he took contact. He could t tell he was reluctant to do it, as he would be. He would have been in significant pain, but he bravely fought on and, and played a role for his team. How much do you think his loss is going to affect St Kilda's prospects in the next few weeks? I didn't even mention Seb Ross and his game on the weekend yeah. as well, Lingy. There, there is a little more depth in that St Kilda midfield than might have been the case. Brad Crouch, as you mentioned, Gresham, Ross. There are guys who can go through there, but Steele is, is a real linchpin, isn't he? 
Yes, Jack Steele's still the beating heart of that St Kilda team and that St Kilda midfield. So it's a massive loss. Seb Ross and Brad Crouch have got the much better balance in their game of not just trying to accumulate, accumulate junk time possessions. They actually are impactful now. Yeah, they're the in and under. They're the ones feeding it out, winning the contest, releasing it to the Jade Greshams or the Bradley Hills who's come up and around, that, those types of players. But Jack Steele is everything in that midfield sometimes. He's in, he's outside, he kicks goals. It's a big loss, but it's early enough in the season with the injury that they, they are good enough to keep winning. Um, not every single game, and they might drop one or two because he, they're missing Steele, but they can keep winning and there's enough time for Steele to go out, get himself right, come back in, build to finals. They're in a really good place. Yeah, they're certainly... Uh, having watched them on Saturday and what they did to the Cats, um, I, am, I know I've been slowly eating my words from uh, round one, um, but I had to take big giant mouthfuls of uh, humble pie on, uh, on Saturday. They were very, very good. Yeah, they were fantastic. They play the Adelaide Crows in Adelaide this week. So that's the next assignment for St Kilda. Before we get to Isaac Heaney, who will be with us in just a moment, um, a few thoughts on Sydney's opposition on the weekend because Essendon, after you quite rightly questioned the level of celebration following that come-from-behind win over Hawthorne, produced what could only be described as a meek performance. There was... The fanfare with Dyson Heppel running out onto the ground with friends and family and well wishes for his 200th game before the game. Um, that's been criticised in some circles as perhaps not being appropriate given the game of football needed to be played before the celebrations took place. And then incidents within the game as well where Luke Parker is basically mocking Dylan Shield and questioning his hardness. We saw episodes where Zach Merritt was felled by James Rowbottom and no one went and flew the flag. Essendon laid 30 tackles for the game. Lingy, 30 tackles. Callum Mills laid 13 tackles alone. This was... It beggars belief how bad Essendon was, to be honest, on the weekend. I'm glad you brought up one of the incidents of the Luke Parker and Dylan Shield. To me... I try and think if that was me in Dylan Shields' boots there, that would be one of the worst feelings on a footy field you can ever have. No matter how badly you, can, you play, and I had some stinkers throughout my career, and you feel like you're just hopeless on a footy field, but you still, in your deep, deep thoughts, can say, yeah, but I'm trying. Like, I, I can hold my head up high. I'm still committing to the contest. I'm still running hard. I'm still working None of it is working as in finding the footy or impacting the game or doing anything like that. But I still have respect of teammates and the opposition to some degree still respect the fact that I'm out there doing everything I can. If somebody did that sort of motion and and really was having a crack and saying how badly I just um, whipped it in a contest, oh... I, that would that would sting me more than anything. I, I copped every sledge under the sun about um, being no good, about uh, the red hair, about uh, you know looks, about everything like that. Some vicious stuff gets said on a footy field. You laugh that all off. But with what Luke Parker did to Dylan Shield, you don't laugh that off. That is, 
That is brutal. That is a shot at what you really hold dear to yourself as a player. And I think I, I would have had to have responded. I wouldn't have just copped it. Now, I'm not saying I responded by going up and fighting him. I would have made sure that the next three or four contests that I was involved in were the most physical and ruthless I'd approached a contest ever. Now, it might not have led to me winning the footy, but I would have just wanted my, to throw my body in there and try and make amends. And I would have hoped deep down inside that one of my teammates wanted to help me out of it and saw that I was in a situation where I was worrying, where I was doing my head in. Someone had to come to Dylan Shields' aid. He had to do something about it himself. He's been really poor this year and he, he, um, he was really poor again on the weekend as a few Essendon players were. But also sometimes you need a little bit of help. You need to support. You need to know that you've got the love of your teammates out there and no one gave anything for Dylan. And that's pretty damning for the Bombers. As you said, Zach Merritt as well, the way they played. But, I mean, at least stay strong as a team and a unit and, and together as mates. That, that was the biggest thing for me. It was so meek, the performance from all of them, that oh, I, I don't know. I don't know how you could do that. That's, that's something I just never, ever wanted to happen to me or my teammates on the field. Now, please don't take that out as saying that we always played great games because we got flogged at times and we, we got things wrong and all of that. But still at your core, you wanted, to be, you wanted to be able to walk off at least kind of holding your head up high, as shattered as you were, but you, were, you gave your all. Well, Dylan Shield must feel like the players don't have his back. Is that a fair comment? If there, there's no reaction, and similarly, Zach Merritt, to see you're not advocating for players to go in and, and you know, take retribution and do things in a violent way to, to claim retribution for an action like that. But the very fact that no one did anything, it, it just looked so out of keeping with what we've seen from the better teams across many decades in football. Well, and, and that's what I want to make really clear, and I'm glad you, you clarified it. None of what I'm talking about is going and fighting the opposition. Go and fight the Swans. Go and fight Luke Parker. Go get in a wrestle with them. Go and try take someone out off the ball. I'm not talking about that. Anybody can do that. It's, it's, it's not a brave act to go and start a fight or go and belt someone or go and take out someone whose head's over the footy. That, none of that's brave. None of that's actually trying to win back some respect. Now, I think El, we're, we're talking about a response at the next contest or a response in the next the immediate aftermath of it. The ball is a ball up or a boundary throwing or the ball's in play. That's the response. Like the, the level of intensity, you, you shouldn't need a, a, a jolt to get going with your intensity and, and the, the way you hunt the ball and the way you hunt the opposition and the way you play. But if something like that happens, the level should go up and it should be a response by everyone going, hey, you're not going to treat my teammate like that. Next time Luke Parker got the ball, he should have been tackled so ferociously, fairly, but so ferociously that he felt it right down into his insides and he should have stopped and thought, oh, gee, I shouldn't have poked the bear there. They're coming for me. Yeah. But there was nothing. There was nothing. The great, the great Richmond teams, the great Hawthorne teams, our great team, the great Brisbane Lions teams. Well, let's be truthful, Lingy. The great Essendon teams. That was yes. they were the trademark of great Essendon teams was their ruthlessness. 
And there's none of that in this current Essendon lineup. No. And, and again, ruthless does not mean go and belt someone. Ruthless means how you attack the next contest, how you support and get numbers over to the next contest to make sure you win it, how you, you tackle and harass and pressure the opposition, how you create a turnover, how you spoil in the next contest, how you fight for that position in the marking contest at the next contest. That is ruthless. That's the response you've got to have. And the Bombers just don't. They, again, I use the word, it was so meek, their performance and their response to being challenged like that. Just quickly in, um, in signing off on the Bombers, Lingy, do you feel that the criticism around the fanfare associated with Dyson Heppel's 200th and the way he went out onto the ground with hugs and smiles and kisses and high fives, that has been suggested in some quarters as, as being not the appropriate way to mark the milestone, fair or unfair? Uh, I, I, I would certainly not have wanted that. I think, I think it was over the top for 200 games. He wasn't breaking the club record. He wasn't playing game number 400. He wasn't anything like that. I think that can wait till after the game. Is that fair? But I like Dyson Heppel and his approach. I like the fact that he plays the game with a smile and he works really hard. He's been through hell in his career with being a young leader, everything the club's been through. So I'm hesitant to knock him too much for it, Al. But I just think somebody else possibly could have guided him better and said, rather than all of that going onto the field, let's play the game. Let's have a great performance. Let's get a win for Dice and then let him have, let him chair off, get his family and friends around him as he's coming up, get him in the circle, in the, in the rooms, if they sing the song and, you know, get everyone involved. I, it can be just, it can be done a better way. I, I'm, I'm probably not going to jump up and down about it too much though, Al. Um, but now you look at it and you think, well, that happened and then they played the way they did. You draw a direct parallel to it and you think, well, it's not good enough. I, I, I wouldn't have done it. I'll put it that way, Al. I yeah. just would have felt really uncomfortable. Going, Let's celebrate this all after we get a win, boys. It's not a, you know, I know it's my little moment to run out in the Grand Fantastic, but it's, it's 200 games. Let's get on with a great win and then we can carry on like pork chops in the rooms after the game. Well, you've been extremely patient, I have to say that, because we've managed to secure, I think, your favourite player in the competition to join us on the program today. And we can reflect on the Swans' performance because they needed a win. They'd lost to Brisbane. They'd lost to Gold Coast at the SCG. And they did dismantle Essendon. As much as Essendon was really poor, Sydney played a terrific brand of football. And one of their stars, Isaac Heaney, is going to join us next. The Al and Lingy Show. He is one of the most impactful players in the AFL at the moment. His team's going beautifully in fifth position and coming off an excellent win over Essendon on the weekend. Isaac Heaney, welcome to the Al and Lingy Show. Thanks for your time, mate. Anytime. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to hand you over to Lingy because he's, he really has been very much enamoured with your work this season. But just a quick reflection on the game against Essendon. You, you come off a couple of losses, including a bit of an upset loss to Gold Coast at your home ground. What did you see in the performance against the Bombers that you think helped turn things around? 
I think for us, it was a, a big, big um, I guess, thing for us was the first quarter. We had to come out there and we, we knew they were going to come up and, and produce something. If they're, if they're allowed to play their, their game, their, their game style, they can be a really damaging team. So we knew we had to start well and um, we thought our first quarter was, was outstanding. The, the pressure was there, the contested footy was there and we hit the scoreboard. Um, we're still not converting like we would like to, but um, it was really pleasing to, to get the game off to a really good start. And then um, I guess to double down in the second, third and fourth quarter was, was really good. Now, Isaac, my kids tease me because they just tell me all the time that in my eyes, you can do no wrong. You are clearly my favourite player and they don't understand that why it's not a Geelong player. It should be a Cats, but um, you're my favourite. And the reason for that is impact on games. Uh, Just your role within the team. Uh, Tempting, I'm sure, to go hunting up the ground and, and get a few possessions here and a couple of cheap ones there. But is it is it you or is it coach instructions just be in the forward half and have huge impact with your possessions, whether it's goals, goals, assists, or, or setting up the team. Um, that focus of being able to play that way, does that come from John or, or yourself? Firstly, I'll just say thank you. I'm flattered. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely flattered. Um, no, it comes from, comes from Horse, um, the coaching staff, Pikey, and, and a bit of myself. I think um, this year has been really nice from Horse to, to sort of say to me, he goes, you can – you play your own style of footy. We want you to be as damaging as you can. Um, obviously, the last few weeks have been a bit closer attention from 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 opponents. Uh, the first few weeks, I could sort of run around and do as I liked, and um, so I'm working through that at times as well, and, and not having as much influence. I, I don't think the last few weeks I had, sorry, probably the first probably six weeks. Um, so I'm working through that with horse, but he says free reign to to get up there and do what you want and just be damaging within obviously the the game plan and. Um, I like to lead by obviously being hard and physical and selfless at, at times too. So um, it's also nice to hit the scoreboard. Yeah, so you certainly do that well. I agree with that, that selflessness in the way you play. Just as you're learning the art of that closer attention and, and clubs finally realising just how important you are to the Swans, do you, do you seek out advice from other players who've been in a similar position? Do you just learn your own way of trying to break free or just embrace the fact on one-on-one, I'm going to get some close checking. I'll just aim to beat my opponent in the contest. Bit of everything. Um, I, I should probably call you one day and, and ask, um, get some advice off you, but no, nah, so a bit of everything. I, I, I check in with Jared McVeigh, obviously um, in his, in his prime, he, he was getting tagged at times and, um, and also the, the likes of, I guess, Tom Papley when, when last year he got some close attention also. So, there's a bit of that, but also learning the ropes and, and just doing a lot of vision and understanding who I most likely will get and, and how I'm going to work that, um, work my strengths compared to obviously their weaknesses and, and whatnot. So there's a bit of everything, but um, it's a, it, it does get tough at times. Give me one more, Al, then I'll let you have a turn. I'm going to step aside eventually. <laughs> um, and, and this one, a little bit off your focus of you, Isaac, but the Sydney Swans as a club, just so many people look back and just think the culture that is built there the quality of the people that come out of there. You look at a Callum Mills, high-quality young player, now developing into a, a great leader, sacrifices himself at times, plays a defensive role, but also finds the footy. But just that overall club feel. It was great to be able to welcome back Adam Goods to, uh, to AFL and, uh, and being part of that 2012 10-year reunion. Now as one of the slightly more experienced players, why do the Sydney Swans get all of that culture and that club atmosphere is so right. What's the key ingredient? Oh, I think it's, it's a good question. I've only obviously been here for 
since 2015. Um, and I was lucky to play a year or two with, with Goodsy. And, and it was those sort of players. I think it's, it stems down from your, obviously your coaches, but your, your leadership group um, to have a really strong, probably three or four, um, five players up there that, that then passed the baton on. And, and we, we had, we had Goodsy, we had Jared McVeigh, Kieran Jack, that were just um, absolutely incredible leaders. But I think the, the balance between um, when to switch on and when to switch off um, is, is a massive thing at the Swans. And um, the boys love each other. We've got a really close vibe um, in, the, in the club, but also outside. But when, we, when we're here, we train hard, we train as we play. And, and that's driven by the, the likes of like Josh Kennedy, Luke Parker, Dane Rampey also. Um, like you said, Callum Hill's coming through. There's, there's the, the, the development of young, um, I guess, leaders coming through is extremely important. And Horse puts a massive, massive um, impact on that. Uh, and it's been amazing. I think that's what holds, um, I guess, the Swans and, and the likes of Geelong also for the last sort of 15, 20 years and, and very similar cultures that are, um, I guess, yeah, are just amazing to play for. And I'm, I'm pumped to be here for the next, yeah, six years. I want to ask you about that, Isaac, but what typically week to week, what does your downtime consist of? How, how do you, because you are a, you're a country boy, you love to get out and, and be in, in different atmospheres and different environments and get in the water and all of that kind of stuff. Do you have a, a weekly routine that helps you detach from footy? Yeah, for me, I'm, it's obviously dependent on my body. Um, I love, if I could get out the bush, I would, uh, but Sydney's obviously, it's a bit too, bit too far to get out there. So I, for myself, it's either fishing or surfing. Um, so when my body's feeling good, like yesterday I went for a little surf and just a, it's a bit of a like saltwater therapy get out there and just switch off and get a few waves and just be, I guess, in the present. And the, the same with fishing. I can just get a, a nice escape there. Um, and it's nice to have some friends. I, I did year 12 in, in Sydney, so I can get away from the club in that aspect and go and spend some time with some, some I guess, lifelong mates outside of the club, which helps. So you signed the six-year deal. Um, obviously grew up barracking for the Sydney Swans. You're going to be a player at that club for the entirety of, of your career. Some suggest that the long-term deals aren't necessarily the best way for clubs to go, that potentially players can get comfortable. You clearly haven't got comfortable. Psychologically, what does the six-year deal do for you as a player? That's the one thing I, I sort of pride myself on is, is I'm always there to improve. Um, I'll be one of the hardest working players at, at training and at the game week in, week out. Um, that's just something I... I'd pride myself on and, and if I ever slip in that aspect, I hope I get hit between the eyes sort of thing. So, um, sorry, I lost, what was your question? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and just in terms of the impact that that six-year deal has on you. So from your perspective, it, it only reinforces that you need to keep working hard, does it? Absolutely. It gives me that opportunity, a bit of security, but, but that opportunity to, to become the best player I can. And um, I think there's this club's got some room for some really, really good success in the near future. And um, I'd love to be a part of that. So I'd love to do everything I can to, to be that, that leader within the club, but that, I guess, yeah, the more experienced player, some of the, the, the good players there and just bring through all these young fellas that, that are coming through at the moment and just, just strive for success. I can't, I'm extremely excited about the future of the club. It's a great batch of young players you've got coming through, some of them going through the middle of the ground as well. And you mentioned Josh Kennedy earlier, who has been an absolute stalwart for your club and a wonderful leader over the years. His role's changed, though. We've seen him be the Medi sub. He's played in the back line. He's played on the wing. He's not going to the set of square so often. Have you seen his evolution into that phase of his career? And, and ultimately, where's he best served um, performing for your club, do you think? Great question. I think that, that sums up the club in itself too. I think the fact that he can sacrifice his own game for, for others coming through and um, how much of a leader and how much influence he has on the boys um, in, at training just to, to train them up to, I guess, take over his role 
um, shows you the, the character he is and, and the person he is outside of the club. He's just absolutely amazing too. So, um, yeah, he, I think, what is he, number one in contested footy and number one in clearances now? It's, he, he's goated. He's goated for, for life. So, I hope he, um, he's an absolutely amazing player. And I still believe he, he inside mid is, is his go, but he's changed his game throughout pre-season. He's, he's worked on his fitness. He's, he's running those lanes on the wing. He's, he's one of the most selfless players on the wing when he's out there, but when he's in, he's one of the hardest players too. So, um, I, 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 the way he's adapted has been absolutely amazing, and uh, I still think he's an inside ball though. Do you get a chance to sit down with another one of the experienced players, one Lance Franklin up forward, and just say, buddy, um, you've got another couple of years left in you. Don't go thinking about anything other than playing on. It's amazing, isn't it, that he's still playing such wonderful football, such high-impact football at the moment. Um, you'd be keeping him around as long as you possibly can. Yeah. The way he's playing at the moment, he'll, he'll play for another 10 years. Um, <laughs> he's, he's incredible. He, um, he just does some things where you, good luck matching on him, matching up on him one-on-one sort of thing. And then it'd be nice if he could kick straight. I think he would be two, four in the weekend, but he, he, he always, he's always there around goal. And he's just one of those players that you just sit back and you can kind of go ball watching when it's around him because you, you're just in awe of what he can do. So um, no, I'll be definitely in his ear to say, hang around for another couple of years if he can. He's got an aura, hasn't he? And his form last year, 51 goals. Isaac, he's kicked 21 goals in eight games this season. You're hot on his heels with 19 as well. But there was that period where he couldn't consistently train. He couldn't consistently get out on the field. So two parts to the question. Was there a period where you thought, gee, maybe we're not going to see the best of Buddy again? And then how do you see him moving now compared with when he's been at his best? Yeah, oh, it was a, obviously there's a period there where it was a bit unsure as to, to how his body was going to deal with it. I mean, he's played 300 games and kicked a thousand goals, so it's a if he if he gave up now, then everyone'd be like, you know what, fair enough. But he's still he's motoring on and he works hard off the field on his body and um, he understands his body as well, which is obviously a massive thing. And he knows what he can do, what he can handle throughout the week, and when he's right for for the game. So um, yeah, no, he. He understands all of that. And, and what was your second question? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did you worry that his time might be coming to an end? And, and, and now when you look at the way he's moving, do you feel like he's, he's almost back to peak again? I think the way he's moving at the moment, I think he's definitely, um, definitely moving extremely well and, and not far off his peak and um, he can do some serious damage and, and offers so much for our forward line. Um, and I don't think he's, he's he'll be ready to go again, I believe. I think his body's holding up really nicely. And um, other than his fingers, he broke his finger. That looks that looks pretty gnarly at the moment. But other than that, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's travelling very well. Did you leave enough money in the salary cap for him, Isaac? <laughs> he's coming off the bumper deal. He'll be expecting a decent offer, won't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, there's plenty around for him. <laughs> Good to hear, mate. Now, your, your challenge um, of this week, well, the next few weeks really before the bite really ramps up for you. You've got Carlton on Friday night at Marvel Stadium, then Richmond at the SCG on a Friday night as well, and then Melbourne at the MCG. So you've built this nice platform to start the season, and, and now the really stern tests come. Do you feel like the group is really ready to embrace this challenge at the moment? Absolutely. Um, like you said, we've had a good start. We obviously had a bit of a lapse against Gold Coast. Um, I guess it's softened by the, the fact that they beat free on the weekend, which is... Um, but I think other than the, the two weeks we had at Brisbane, we thought we played reasonably well. Gold Coast, we just didn't play our game style. And then on the weekend, we felt like we're back to, to our best. And um, it's a good time because, like you said, leading in the next three weeks, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Um, Carlton, obviously, on a, on, a, on a roll. Richmond always produce. 
uh, and then Melbourne is um, they're, they're looking hard to beat at the moment. So we're confident. We um, we're confident after the weekend that we know what stands up and we know what's going to get us a win. And um, we've just got to make sure that we we have enough boys. Uh, I guess the way to numbers uh, week in week out to to get that done. Oh, you know I've already declared he's my favourite player, so I'm not going to let him be late to weights training. All right, he's got a weights group starting in a couple of minutes' time, so let the man go. Stop holding him up. <laughs> give, give, us a, give us a tip, Lingy. Give us a tip uh, if someone comes a bit closer to me on the weekend. <laughs> no, I, I love what you do. Embrace the contest. What a tagger or a close checking person loves is when you spend the whole time running away from the contest trying to outrun them. Embrace the fact that you can beat them in the contest. Don't spend your petrol running away from the ball. Have it come to you and then do your thing, mate. I love watching it. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Great chatting to you, Isaac. Thanks for being part of the program. Thanks, lads. Terrific to have Isaac Heaney with us, one of the genuine stars of the competition. And this match on Friday night, Lingy, live and free on Channel 7, Carlton versus Sydney at Marvel Stadium. It's going to be a fantastic way to kick off Sir Doug Nichols' Indigenous round. It's a monster, isn't it? What a game it'll be. And now having huge ramifications on the way that top four is shaping up. With Freo dropping their game to Gold Coast, Carlton having that good win against the Giants, Sydney had their little bump with, um, with dropping their game to the Suns and the Lions. But you just know the Swans are going to keep getting better as the season goes on. It's huge. And, and again, I know we touched on this earlier, but Carlton and the steps that they're taking in Melbourne, in Victoria, probably go bang and just nail that one. A couple of players down potentially still, but they get that win and they just really put Sydney away. But you know, Sydney just, they, they just back up week after week after week. And, and the young guys are understanding that from the leaders that Isaac spoke about, like Luke Parker and Josh Kennedy, they set the tone and, and they just, they front up and they're so competitive that I find it hard to tip that one. Uh, okay. I've got to think about it more and more, but I think Carlton, but then I look at what the Swans did to Essendon and, and when we were talking about ruthless football and an approach, that's the Swans. Their yeah. contest works great. Their team works great. They, that culture they've got is great. Um, yeah, hard to tip against them. Well, you've been eating more than a few bowls of humble pie courtesy of St Kilda. I'm eating a bit of humble pie courtesy of Gold Coast, Lingy, because I questioned where they were going, suggested they hadn't achieved anything in the last few weeks and weren't likely to um, based on the way they'd started the season. And since I made those comments, they've had two terrific wins. They've knocked off Sydney at the SCG and now they've beaten Fremantle, who are having a superb season at home and all of a sudden they're knocking on the door of the top eight. Um, and you look at the numbers from the weekend, Freo 55 inside 50s to 36. And the game was won by Gold Coast by six goals. And Gold Coast defence, Rory Thompson, loves seeing him back playing yep. again. Sam Collins is a fine defender, but guys like Butterick and Powell and, and these kind of lesser known players are playing a really important role for this team. And I said it last week after the win against Sydney, team is exactly the way they're playing. Tuke Miller was fantastic on the weekend, yep. but they did a job on Fremantle and Fremantle's midfield has been outstanding this season. Gold Coast midfield really did a job on them. They did, and, and, and you're right. Why am I still hesitant, though, to go overboard? Even the strangeness of that game a little bit, Al, was when, when you talk about those inside 50s and you say, well, 
and they've still conceded 55 to Fremantle. And they've only had, what was it, 34, 36 themselves. Oh, really? Okay. Does that really add up? That's not sustainable, that type of footy. But maybe it was just one of those super ugly, hard-fought, just really get your knees dirty sort of wins that the Suns haven't done. And credit to them that they did it. And and they found a different way of winning. And, and maybe I should be even more excited about them, but I still have that hesitancy. I... <laughs> I want You'd to never jump. declare them, Lingy. You'd never declare no, them. No, no. I, I just have to give credit where credit was due. And in yep. the last couple of weeks, after what I'd said about their prospects, they have produced and, and that deserves some credit, I reckon. And I wonder in those games too, Lingy, with the midfield battle and the Gold Coast being so good in that facet of the game, it's the quality of ball going in, isn't it? That that messy ball that can be hard for, for forwards to do too much with. So... Yeah, definitely still got a watch on Gold Coast, but I've been thoroughly impressed the last couple of weeks with what they've done. I'll tell you what, the way I would have declared this week's game coming up. So the Western Bulldogs in Ballarat. is This is a game where the Suns just turn up and uh, their mind's not there, their bodies aren't there. Might be a bit windy, might be a bit chilly. Dogs destroy them. They've got that sort of contested ball midfield. Suns aren't even in this game from 10 minutes in. Now I stop and think, well, hang on a second. The Suns' midfield will be up for the challenge and the Suns' defence could hold strong and they might find a goal. And it possibly is a low-scoring, ugly game. But you know what? The Suns might just do it. I'll still tip the dogs, by the way. But I feel completely differently about the Suns going to Ballarat and playing against the Western Bulldogs team than I would have two weeks ago. It was, this was just a W for the yeah. dogs, move on. But now, not so sure. Whereas it could now be meaningful for Gold Coast, couldn't it? If they can go and win in circumstances where you wouldn't expect them to, that says something about the the maturity or growing maturity of, of this group. And it was only a few weeks ago that Stuart Jew was very much being talked about with Alistair Clarkson hovering around the place. Would he be replaced at some point? If they can keep producing like that, then... You couldn't possibly repl- replace Stuart Jew if they're going to play with that level of commitment and effort. It's certainly something that the Giants haven't been playing with as far as those newer clubs in the competition are concerned. Port Adelaide, another win for them, four in a row. Lingy, of course, against North Melbourne, expected to win that. But they've just turned things around and maybe what Ken Hinckley said, at zero and five, you couldn't write them off, even though history said they were very unlikely to figure they're now starting to build a bit of a body of work and they're playing down at Cadinia Park against Geelong this weekend. So that's a huge test for Port Adelaide. I just wanted to touch on Richmond as well because they've now won three games in a row. Lingy, they had almost their best 22 available to them on the weekend and they're just starting to work their way up the table, just consolidating their spot in the, the top eight. They're five and four and Dusty's now two games back <laughs> and he was so dynamic with some of the stuff he did on the weekend. They look better with Prestia in, with Flostone in that side. When you get that group together, if they can hold them together, I still think Richmond's pretty dangerous. Yeah, what a difference Dusty makes and and those other players you reel off. I mean, Prestia is their best balanced midfielder um, both ways. Nick Flostone's the key to that defence. Tom Lynch has found his mojo again. Um, Jack Rewalt's, you know, his body's struggling, but he's still a danger. He doesn't have to be the main man when Tom Lynch is playing like this. 
I look at the ladder and go, Melbourne, daylight. Brisbane, some more daylight. Slightly less daylight than the one between Melbourne and Brisbane, but still some daylight. Then it's Fremantle, Carlton, Sydney, St Kilda, Geelong, Richmond are all sitting in that group that any one of those could jump into the top four. And if it's Richmond with a healthy list and all their key players playing, like so Tom Lynch in the form he's in, Dusty doing what he did on the weekend, Shea Bolton playing quality footy, mm. Presti is okay. I'm not sure I want to be playing against them if a Richmond sneaks into the top four or even in fifth on the ladder and they get a home final first. That becomes a very, very scary proposition. So their bodies have got to hold up because they have been through some massive seasons and deep finals. But Richmond in finals with health is scary. So they're, they're, they're still right there amongst it and, uh, and, and could comfortably, when you look at that ladder, could comfortably start launching into top four calculations easily. Is Shea Bolton the cleanest player in the competition, do you reckon? He is such a one-touch player. He is, it's as, as though the ball is just an extension of him. He can do anything he likes with it. He, he is pretty special. I mean, I, you're asking a lot for me to put him ahead of Isaac Heaney as far as cleanliness and just impact. We want to try and get Shea Bolton on next week. Do you, thank, I would love that because, you know what, I'm on, I'm on a personal, personal vendetta against junk possessions, mm. numbers, irrelevant numbers of possessions, impact is everything. So the Boltons, the Heenies, the Petrarchas, like Lockie Neal's one who gets numbers, but his aren't just number numbers. They're, they're impact numbers. It's superb. That's all I care about from now on, Al. If you, if you ever hear me talking about the fact that, I don't know, Darcy Parrish had 29 disposals in a game or 35 disposals in a game, and it's the junk that he's been dishing out over the last month or so, please stop me because I don't ever want to talk about <laughs> possessions for the sake of possessions. Show me impact. What's the old one? Show me possessions or whatever it is. Show me impact. That's all I care about from now on. You get numbers and you do nothing with it and the ball goes nowhere and the ball doesn't go inside your team's forward 50. I refuse to talk about you from now on. I'm sure they won't care. They won't care about me not talking, but that's my personal Little mission. Impact I like it. only. I like it, Lingy. You've been very motivated today. I think you've brought some of your best. Perhaps <laughs> the company you shared in this episode of the program helped in that regard. But Friday night football, you'll see Isaac Heaney in action live and free on the screens of seven as Sydney travels to Melbourne to take on Carlton. That kicks off. So Doug Nichols, Indigenous Round, we'll see those fantastic jumpers on display and the wonderful contribution of all the Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander footballers and communities to the great game will be celebrated as well. It's a special time, Lingy, and we'll sum it all up in the regular time slot back on Monday morning next week. Good on you, mate. Thanks, Al. All the best. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 